Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we contemplate and consider all that we might hear, help us, Father, to remember that Christ did pay it all. Jesus did pay it all for those who put their faith and trust in him. We owe everything to him. Help us, Father, to be led by your Spirit to even as we would listen this morning. And remember, we owe it all to Christ, whom we will hear about, we will hear from. And may we listen that we may be different, more like him, for your glory and for his sake. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. Um, we, the elders, have been involved in a shepherding matter for a while now and this week we were involved in it again and I've been very challenged and edified by the time in these meetings and I thought it was worth talking to us about. Um, there's, we have been shepherding someone who who um, would give testimony that she has been shepherded well um, from the word of God faithfully by the elders that um, that there are clear commands of scripture that are being ignored and um, in favor of being led by feelings and desires wanting to use loosely use concepts from the scriptures to apply but not even applying that logically or reasonably and denying clear scriptural commands. So as we've been in these meetings, a few things have been going on and um, and Pastor Tyler and Pastor Nick uh, had a time where the two of them were talking about these next two things and I thought it would be worth all of us to consider. In Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17 it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and the true righteousness and holiness. To put off your old self and the former manner of life, and is corrupt, your old self that's corrupt, and it's deceitful desires. So, So our old selves have desires that are deceitful. We have desires to do things and um, act in ways that are, are deceitful. And we're to, we're to put that off. And we're to put on who, who we are and what we know in and through Christ Jesus. And then in James chapter 1, beginning verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test he received the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James, we're being told here that we will face trials as Christians. And blessed is the, is the Christian who, who stands steadfast, remains steadfast in those trials. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. The trial you're in or the thing you're tempted to do, if it's not what God would have, it's not God who's tempting you. It is your own deceitful desires. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin is when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Okay, you'll have these desires. You'll be tempted. Don't say God's giving you this temptation. It is your deceitful desires that are tempting you. And, and if you give in to those, you will then sin. And if you continue in that sin, you will die. It's quite a warning. It's a very sobering, humbling thing to think about. It is difficult to sit and watch someone hear the word of God and refuse to be obedient to it. And then somehow claim that God is calling them to do something different. James 1.22 Do but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you listen to the word of God, given to you clearly and plainly to apply to a specific situation in your life, and it's clear and it's plain, and you hear that and you don't do that, you're deceiving yourself. And I'm, I'm not suggesting for the person we're, we're shepherding or anybody that's listening that it's too late. I'm suggesting it's too late if you won't repent and do what God says and not follow your own deceitful desires. Do not be the person that calls Jesus Lord but does not do what he says. Do not be the one described in Matthew 7. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of the Father? It's right here. It's right here in his word. This is a serious warning. This is, this is not to be taken lightly. When someone's in this situation, they are in danger. And with great love and care, the elders of this church have, have warned this person of the danger they're in. We trust that God is going to change the hearts of his people by the Spirit and his word. And so we will counsel that way and we'll trust God to do the work in his people that he is going to do. And he will also do what he does with those that call him Lord and do not do what he says. Even this morning as you're hearing my voice, if, if, if anything in your, is coming in your own mind about something that is clear in the Word of God, but you're going to do something different, that is your deceitful desires, and you, if you are in Christ, no longer will be, will be directed by your deceitful desires. You will be directed by the Word of God. And no one's preaching perfection. But do not, do not take this warning lightly. God says clearly how to interact in many situations. It's clear. And don't be the person who then twists Scripture to take other things to try to put it in conflict with what's clear. And then not even apply that same new standard to any other area of your life. We do have trials. We do have deceitful desires. Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, as we saw today. Who could know it? You can't trust your heart. You can trust the word of the Lord. You can trust the truth that's in the scripture. And by the grace of God, we will. Amen. We are in the Gospel of Luke. We know that Luke has a, or Luke, Jesus in Luke's Gospel has a huge following. Um, he's had big crowds that press in around him. When he went across 
he went away from Capernaum for a while, remember, and went over into the, the land of the Gadarenes, and, and there he was chased out and back to Capernaum. When he came back, there were so many people he could hardly walk from one place to another. Uh, over, the, over the last few weeks, we saw that Jesus sent out his 12 apostles and empowered them to heal and to cast out demons, to go out and to preach the kingdom of God and then to heal, to affirm what was being taught. Uh, we know that Herod the Tetrarch is, is hearing of all these things. Remember Herod the Tetrarch, he was the governor of Galilee. He was the governor of that area, that part of Israel. And he had caught wind of this Jesus guy and all of his followers and all, all, the, all the following he had and all of, the, all of the uproar he was causing. And, and Herod the Tetrarch um, thought of John the Baptist because John the Baptist was someone who also caused Herod problems when John the Baptist stood in front of Herod and told him he was a sinner for taking his brother's wife and, and had ultimately had John the Baptist beheaded. And Herod the Tetrarch wanted Jesus dead as well. Wanted him done, stopped. The Pharisees were wanting to stop Jesus. So now you've got, you've got the religious elite, and now you have the government that's starting to want to stop Jesus. You've got these huge crowds that are following. This, all, this is all starting to boil up to a head. It's, it's coming to the end of the Galilean ministry. It's coming to the time we're going to see in a while where Jesus is going to set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, and everything's going to head that direction. But he's still in Galilee now, and um, we're going to be looking this week at an event that we all have heard of many times and know quite well. It's the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to see Jesus' persistent, plentiful, perfect provision. So please stand and I will read verses 10 through 17 of chapter 9. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he sat them all down. He, he had them all sit down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God to be saved and to be sanctified. May the Spirit move and work in our hearts. So this is a very well-known event. And sometimes I think it's heard with a dismissive attitude. I don't mean like a disagreeable negative attitude, but rather we hear it and it's like that, not that big of a deal. We just heard it many times. We just kind of pass over it. We don't really contemplate and think about what actually took place that day. There are only two, two miracles that are included in all four Gospels. The resurrection is one of those miracles that's included in all four Gospels. The only other miracle that's included in all four Gospels is this one. It's the only one common to all of four of the Gospels. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an important event, as all of the Bible is, but this one is talked about by all of your Gospel writers and covered fairly well in depth. So it's, it's, it's a meaningful passage on many levels. It is... It is we won't really look at it much. We might mention it, but I really don't know. But it is kind of the final judgment on the masses in Galilee. It is, it is the last big miracle we're going to see in Galilee with, with a judgment that follows um, from Jesus because of their response to it. They were, they were 
what what becomes clear um, if you look at the, the Gospel of John, but what, what's happening here is this 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 these people in Galilee they're looking for a temporal king, they're looking for an earthly king, they're looking for the prosperity that a king would bring to Jews to Israel. That's what they're looking for. They're not they're rejecting the eternal king, the eternal God, the gospel that would have them to be saved. They're they're rejecting. God's message of salvation through repentance and faith in Christ and they're wanting an earthly king. And that's what they're looking for. So now remember these 12, like we just talked about, they, they've been out everywhere where the scriptures say they've been going everywhere in Galilee. These 12 apostles empowered by Christ to be able to uh, cast out demons and to heal people. They're going out now into Galilee. Kind of, Galilee is about a fifty-mile-long, twenty-five-mile-wide swath of land, like two hundred and some villages. So, kind of getting that in your mind. That's here to Galesburg. I'm an Illinoisan, so I don't know what's here to Iowa. Something in Iowa. Clinton. Here to Clinton, and about twenty-five miles wide. It's a decent-sized swath with all these villages, and they're they're going. Jesus has been going throughout this these villages for quite some time, and now all twelve are going out two by two, covering this, preaching everywhere, and healing diseases. Now, they're, they, remember, they're pronouncing judgment on people as they leave a village where their message wasn't accepted, which would have been just about everywhere. They're washing the dust off their feet as a sign of judgment to those people, telling them they're, you're like dirty Gentiles. You're not really God's people. So they're undoubtedly having this they're, remember, they're, they're healing and they're doing miracles. They're doing demon uh, deliverance and, and healing. And so they, they, they undoubtedly have a quite a following themselves now. Undoubtedly, they have stirred quite a few people up and have people wanting them. So, verse 10, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. The apostles return and they need rest. We see in Mark's gospel, Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So, these twelve were pretty popular now as well. They were traveling around, preaching this message of repentance and faith in Christ, preaching the kingdom of God healing and casting out demons, and they were, they were at a premium. People wanted their time. They wanted their miracles. And so they, were, they, had, they had drawn quite a crowd. They were so busy, they didn't have time to rest. They didn't have time to sleep or eat. So they come back after being out. They come back, and, and Jesus says, let's go and get some R&R. Let's go and rest. So, these twelve, they they go and they're going to go rest. Now, there's one other thing that's happening right now in this time frame. And we see it in Matthew's Gospel. We saw that John the Baptist mentioned here in Luke's. But in Matthew's Gospel, verse 12, John the Baptist had just been beheaded by Herod. Okay, So John the Baptist had been in prison for a while. Herod had put him in prison. But then he took him out and he beheaded him. He had just beheaded him. Verse 12, and his, John the Baptist's disciples, came and took the body and buried it. And they, John the Baptist's disciples, went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there on a boat to a desert place by himself. And when the crowd heard, they followed him on foot from the downs. So in Matthew's gospel, we see what's, what's happened. Not only does have the apostles come back reporting all that has happened and, and all the following they have and what they had taught and, 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 and all the, the miracles they had done. Also, so they also have this big following. And now you have Herod having just beheaded John the Baptist. So now we know that Herod is also wanting to come after Jesus. Remember, he wanted to see him because he wanted him dead. He wanted this stopped. So, so, the, so the pressure on Jesus is mounting. He's, he's got this huge following of people that's now grown even more because of the apostles. They're all looking for the, the health and the, the cleansing from demons. The Pharisees are after him, and, and Herod, the governor, is after him. So he left, and they went to a town called Bethsaida. 
Now, Bethsaida was north of the Sea of Galilee and a little bit east of the Jordan River. What was important about this, what, what makes this meaningful is, it was out of Herod the Tetrarchs, Herod Antipas' territory. It was only about eight miles away, ten miles away, here to Bluegrass, but it was, it was out into Philip the Tetrarch's territory. So getting away from Capernaum, going a little ways on the Sea of Galilee and then up the Jordan River and getting out there at Bethsaida, they were now in Philip's territory. They weren't in Herod's territory anymore. This is, this is where this Philip the Tetrarch, he had, he had named this city Julius Bethsaida after Emperor Caesar Augustus' daughter. So that's what the city was named. It was where Peter and Andrew had come from. So it's not far from Capernaum, but it is up in Philip the Tetrarch's area, not Bethsaida we'll, we'll find later, and you know this probably, Bethsaida and Chorazin, they're the ones who are going to receive greater judgment because of this miracle right here that we're going to see and because that a blind man was healed here. They saw the works of Jesus, and they're going to have a worse judgment than Tyre and Sidon. This is Bethsaida. This is where Jesus and the twelve withdrew in order to get some rest. So again, if you think about that, if we go from here, not quite away to bluegrass, but close. If you go that far away, you're getting away from all these people. You're going into a different state. So let's say you go over to East Moline, and now you're under different jurisdiction. Well, that's what they're trying to do, trying to get away and rest. So next we're going to see there is no rest for the compassionate Christ. Verse 11, when the crowds crowds learned it, they followed him. When these large contingent of people, these disciples, remember you had these disciples and then you had the, I guess I'd call them the gawkers, the one that just wanted to see the miracles and partake of the miracles. So you had those that were traveling around with Jesus to learn from him. And then there were those that were just coming to see the show. So, the crowds, we'll look in the other Gospels, see the crowds are actually there when he gets there. So they go out and go by, by boat across the, the top part of the Sea of Galilee and then up a little bit and then they're going to get out on shore to go to Bethsaida. Well, the other people just walked on land and it was quicker to walk than it was to go on the boat. So they're already there when they arrive. So they're there to go, going to get some rest and relaxation, Matthew 14, 14. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. They've withdrawn for Capernaum. They're going to get some needed rest. They're going to get away from this hatred of Herod and the Pharisees. And, and they run into these people. And what does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. Marsh gospel. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. <laughs> he sees this crowd of people, the same crowd of people that had been following for a while. They're wanting to be, they have no shepherd. He sees that they have no one caring for their souls. And what does he do? He teaches them many things. He begins to preach to them, teach them, heal them. There's no rest for the weary. In John's Gospel, it says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The only reason they had followed him was because of the signs that he had been seeing. Most of these people were just following him because of the healings. That's what they wanted. They wanted to receive healings and have their, their family members get healings. And they wanted to have demons cast out. That's why they were following him. And yet, even though that's what they're after, he still has compassion on them. He still teaches them and he heals them. He still has compassion on these self-righteous, earthly-minded Jews who simply wanted to be healed and delivered and to have a Israel be a good, strong, earthly kingdom. He was persistent in his provision. He was persistent in his provision of the good news of the kingdom of God being affirmed by his Miraculous powers. So while we do see the compassion of Christ, the compassion of God clearly here, caring for these people who are just after one thing, 
don't ever forget, he doesn't just feed them for feeding them's sake. He doesn't just heal them for healing them's sake. It's all to affirm the message that he's bringing them. That is the compassion that he has. So when the crowds learned it, they followed him. Verse 11 back in Luke 9. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed them. He spoke of sin and right repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now he was tired. Remember, he'd been trying to get away for a while. And now the twelve come and they're tired. He's being pursued by Herod and by the Pharisees to destroy him. And yet, he knew that he was here for a reason. What did he come to do? He came to do the Father's will. What was the Father's will? That he seek and save the lost. That he redeem a people for himself. This was his ministry. So while he was very tired... As were the twelve, he, he's trying to get away to have some R&R, and he shows up, and there they are again. Kind of like when you come home from work, dads, there they are again. Kind of like when you get done with lunch and clean up, and it's time for supper, then here come the kids again, Mom. They're always there. John 9, 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. John wrote these words from Jesus. Jesus was tired. He was being pursued. And yet, he continued to be on ministry. He continued to do the Father's will. This is a great lesson for us, brothers and sisters. We have a king, we have a savior, we have a lord, we have an older brother who models for us even when weary, he stays on mission. Galatians 6, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in a due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, Jesus had an opportunity here. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is exactly what Jesus' persistent provision looks like. It looks like God's people ministering to God's people even when they're weary. And there's a promise that we will reap in time. He did not grow weary in doing good. We are not to grow weary in doing good, brothers and sisters. I want us, I want me, I want us to hear this this morning. I look around at a congregation who is at times weary. We don't have a lot of people sitting around eating bonbons, reading romance novels, sitting in tanning booths, going on many vacations. We don't have a lot of that around here. So we can become weary. Romans 12.10 says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Except, of course, when you're really tired. No, no, no. We are to love one another, the brethren, with Brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. When you are weary and you need rest, legitimately, but you have a brother or sister in need, serve them. Minister to them. Outdo one another in showing honor. Press on. Persistent provision of Jesus, Jesus through his people for his people. So, with the brethren, ah, Pastor needs help again. Can't seem to shovel his own lawn, yard, boy. 
driveway, whatever your shovel. Try to pick on me, right? But but you know what? What do we need? I'm t- you know I'm tired. I mean literally, and I, I don't mean to puff up or tear down. I really don't. It just comes to mind in this moment. You know, Ryan or Cal, they'll, they'll be out for 30 hours and, and all of a sudden they'll remember that pastor's driveway is not showing them to come shovel it. They're weary, but they're to do good. And I want you all to think of that in your own lives as you interact with the brethren. Or does your weariness cause you to sit back and say, well, somebody please come serve me? Jesus didn't go across, go in Bethsaida to see all these people and say, listen, it's my turn. And the disciples' turn. These apostles, I want you to make a banquet for us. Find us a good place to stay. Give us a good seat. No, no, he just goes and does his ministry. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, when you're weary after a long day of work, honor your wives. Consider how tired they might be. What they might have done that day. No rest for the weary in Christ. Oh, that's so onerous, Pastor. No, it's, it is to be like our Savior. It is to be a Christian. It is to be a follower of Christ. It is to be more Christ-like. It is actually, actually doing that. Husbands, no matter how tired we might be, we are to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. It's right here. Husbands 5, Ephesians 5, 25. We know it. Husbands, love your wives. No matter how tired we might be, we are to care for our wives spiritually and physically. When it's time for you to withdraw to your Bethsaida, your easy chair, and there they are again, minister to them. Fathers, raise your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. By extension, mothers, but fathers. They're always there. They're there again. I just worked a 10-hour day. I had blisters on my hands. It's time for me to go to my easy chair and read the Bible. Minister. They're there again. Proverbs 31.10 An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Even when you are weary, sisters. Do your husband good. When it's time for you to withdraw to your Bethsaida, your bathtub, or your evening chair, and there they are again, minister to them. Do them good. You see, we want to make a contest in our minds of, of, of how are people serving me? And we want to keep score in our minds, kind of, sort of, how it's just the opposite of what Christ does for us and that we're commanded to do. And that is to keep score of how we are serving others and we are to outdo them in honor. Proverbs thirty-one fifteen: she rises while it's still it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. When you, you may want to sleep late because you are weary, Sisters, rise up before sunrise and care for your household. The persistent 
provision of Jesus through his people to his people. His provision is constant. And he does that through us. And if we don't, then it's not being provided. We're making him be a liar. Proverbs 31, 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. No rest for the weary. But I don't say that in a way that it ought to feel burdensome. It ought to give us great joy to be Christ-like. So no rest for the weary. Now Jesus rested. We see him resting at times. But what happens when somebody shows up? He ministers. Not saying we can't rest. I'm not saying that they weren't tired. I'm not saying they were doing anything wrong by going to Bethsaida to get some rest. Clearly not. Christ would not do something wrong. But he gets there and guess who's there again? These needy people. They have no shepherd. They need to hear about the kingdom of God and need to be cared for physically. Titus 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders nor slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Even when you are weary, sisters, love your husband, love your children, work in your home, submit to your husbands, be self-controlled, be pure. I just want to watch that, that kind of edgy show as I relax tonight. And there they are. Children, honor and obey your parents. Even when it's time to withdraw to your Bethsaida of free time or playtime. And you're starting to your free time and playtime, kids, and boom, there's a mess in the kitchen. Honor your mother and clean it up. Pastors, Pastor Tyler, Pastor Nick, shepherd the flock. Do not grow weary. They're always there. We don't, we, don't, we don't call out for our me time. We're, we're husbands and we're fathers and we're pastors. And our King, our Lord, our Savior, He modeled something for us. There's no rest for the weary. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. What a great, what a great calling on our lives. Not burdensome. His yoke's not heavy. It's easy. Love God. Love people. No rest for the weary. Paul talks about being poured out like a drink offering. With joy, he talks about being poured out like a drink offering. Serve the brethren. Serve your spouse. Serve your parents. Serve your children. Shepherd the flock. This is a great lesson we learn from our older brother. And to me, it was like very, as you can tell, impactful as I'm looking at this again. I'm saying, wait a minute. (laughs) Look how this thing starts. It's time for some much deserved from my perspective, much needed rest. So even when we're headed to our Bethsaida for some much needed rest, be ready to minister to the people that show up in front of you. Don't try to sneak in the back way so you don't run into them either. (laughs) All right. So, he gets out of Capernaum. He goes to Bethsaida with the 12. They're going to get some rest. They come on shore. Boom, there's all these people again, this multitude of people. So he starts to teach them and heal. Now, it says 
the day began to wear away. Springtime in Israel. Who knows, let's call it sometime at 3 o'clock in the early afternoon. The day is getting long now. It's coming to an end. The day was ending. It's time to send the crowds away. Verse 12, now the, day began, uh, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. They were not in Bethsaida proper. They were just outside of although Bethsaida was a very small fishing town. It was off. It was offshore. It was inland quite a bit, and it was, it was, off of, it was inland from the river as well. So where they were was by the Sea of Galilee in a big open plain. So, they're out in this desolate place. There's no food. There's nothing around. So he says, we, we, let's let them go. It's, we've been here all day with you preaching now, Jesus. We've been healing. And these folks need to go somewhere and get something to eat. So, let's send them on. But he, Jesus, said to them, you give them something to eat. Don't want to read too much into it, but you got the 12. They're tired, remember? They wanted to go rest. And now all of a sudden they spend another day of ministry. And now all of a sudden it's okay, it's finally done. Can we have something to eat? Can we just chill a little bit? Can you please send these people away? And he says, no, you feed them. You feed them. <laughs> really? Uh, I can't do it. Uh, we can't do it. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. That's all we got. And unless we were to go buy food for all these people, now we find out in the other Gospels you have 200 denarii. Mark 6.37, 200 denarii. 200 denarii would not feed this many people. So, so they immediately say, he says, he's, they say, send them home so you can get some food, get them out of here. He says, no, you feed them. And they say, we can't. All we've got is five loaves, two fish, and not enough money. Think about this for a minute. Who were these 12? What had they just been doing? Healing and casting out demons. Given power by Jesus to do miraculous things. And they go right back to thinking in a worldly manner. Can't do it. Can't do it. Not enough money. Not enough food. They immediately trust in themselves and their logic. <laughs> Think about who they're with. They've watched him calm the winds and the waves. They've watched him raise dead people, cast out demons, 2,000 pigs into the, into the water. They've seen all of this, and their immediate response is, can't do it. He said to them, how many loaves? Go and see. Five. Five biscuits. Two couple of dried fish. Got them from a little boy over there. It's all we have. Not nearly enough to feed all these people. Not believing Jesus when he commanded them to provide food. He told them, you give them something to eat. And they do all the mental math and they, we can't. Logically concluded it wasn't enough. Why are they so concerned? Well, look, it says there were about 5,000 men on there. 5,000 men, husband, adult male, per, person of marriable age, Matthew 14. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. There weren't just 5,000 men there. There were 20,000 plus people. Okay, Because most of those men would have had wives and there would have been some children. and Call it 20,000. So there are 20,000 people. All right? Get this picture. I, um, that's two iWireless centers, or whatever it's called these days, the mark. Two of those filled up. 20,000 people, half of Kinnick Stadium. Okay, That's how many people are there. And here they stand with five small loaves or biscuits and two dried fish. And they say we can't do it because 
2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Were they walking by faith or by sight? They were walking by sight. Here's what we see. We see all of these people. We see this little provision. We don't have enough money. Again, who gave them that command? The God of the universe who they've watched have complete control over everything. He rebuked a fever and it left. He told fish to go to a certain part of the the lake and they did. He raised people from the dead. But look, we can get this, can't we? If you're the 12 apostles and you're looking out at half of Kinnick Stadium or all of, well, and you're saying, we have five loaves, two fish, not enough money, we can't do this. So now we see Jesus' miraculous provision. For about 5,000 men, and Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So, again, if you think about that, you have 400 groups. That's about 50. You guys are about 50. You're about 50. It's not close enough, right? You are going to be in a group, and you are going to be in a group, and there's going to be 398 more groups just like you. There's going to be 450 person groups to sit down on this countryside. About 33 groups per apostle. So about 33, here's two groups. I've got 31 more I'm in charge of. And I got five loaves, and I got two fish amongst all 12 of us. It's daunting, to say the least, isn't it? Think about what Jesus did here. I don't know if you're getting that, but 400 groups this size. Now, instead of saying, are you crazy? At least the apostles did what they were commanded to do. They did so and had them all sit down. So, this undertaking, just think about how difficult it would be to get 400 groups of 50 to sit together. Like you got to get heads of households and say, take your people over there and try to get these folks all, all into these groups. Now, I also want to note throughout this whole thing, Jesus didn't do this himself. If we know, he now has sent the 12 out, so he's engaged them in the ministry. Before they were just traveling along with him. Now they're his partners in the ministry. And so opposed to doing this all by himself in any manner, he does all of this through the apostles. He gives them the instructions to go get the group set up. So they go do that. They go to get them set up in, in groups of 50. Again, Jesus uses his people to provide people. That's what he does. That's what he did right here. So, does God need us? Of course not. Does God use us? Of course he does. Every Christian. It's not an option. He doesn't need us, but he does use us. Jesus didn't need those apostles. He could have done it any way he wanted. But he uses them to set the people out in their groups And taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Now, this is not some Roman Catholic anointing the bread and the the wine. He simply prayed. This is something he would have done, Joseph would have done every day of his life. Jewish men, when before they would eat, they would would take the the, the food and they would give thanks to God for the provision of the food. So Jesus simply gives thanks to God for the provision of the food for this 20,000 person group. Sounds similar to Luke 22:19 and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them. Again, give thanks to God for the provision of this food. 
Luke 24, 30, after he ascended. After he rose, before he ascended. So that was before, the, that was the Last Supper. After he rose again, Luke twenty four thirty, when he was at a table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Thanking God. So he thanks God for the provision of this food. Can you imagine standing there? He's holding five loaves and two fish. And he thanks God for the provision of this food for all these folks. And they're standing there thinking, what are you talking about? How is that possible? And taking the five loaves and two fish, look up, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave to them to the disciples to set before the crowd. That word there forgave, didomai, it's an active imperfect. It's an ongoing action. So read better would be, then he broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. He kept giving them. In Mark 6, 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up in heaven, said a blessing, broke loaves, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He had divided the two fish among them all. So the bread and the fish just keep coming. These five loaves and these two dried fish Jesus breaks and starts to distribute. So I got a picture in my mind. You know, the apostles are lined up, 12 of them with their baskets. He puts some stuff in there. Come here and take to this group. They come over to take this. The next apostle comes up, gets some stuff to take to this group. And then they get done with that and they come back and get in line. They just keep coming 33 more times, all of them. 400 times he keeps just handing them enough to go feed groups of 50. We see Jesus right here. What is he being? He's being God ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he's creating something. Like only God can add matter to the universe. Only God. Nobody else can add matter to the universe. He's sitting here adding matter to the universe. Only God can do that. Second Kings four forty two. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And Elisha said, "Give the men that they may eat." But a servant said, "How can I set this before a hundred men?" So he repeated, "Give them to the men, and they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left." So he set it before them. They ate. It's exactly what Elisha had done. He had. He had. Taken down. This is why the reaction you see in the, the book of John is they think it's a prophet. They actually say it here as well. They, but in John 6, 14, they saw the sign he had done. They said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Deuteronomy 18, that's the promise of one like Moses. They think this is the prophet. Now, what they call him as a prophet, what they don't see him as is the Messiah. They don't see him as God. They see him as a prophet. But he's doing this thing. He's 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 creating ex nihilo out of nothing, something. And then we're going to see, I have abundant provision. That was before I did my piece. Plentiful provision. We see that he is going to give plenty. And they all ate, all who? All 20,000 people ate and were satisfied. Satisfied, chortazzo, to cause to eat so as to become satisfied. To cause to eat one's fill, to satisfy with food. Tratatza was used of feeding animals. They would animals don't they don't stop eating. They just eat until they're till they're full. And this is what it's 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 the same picture here. They ate plenty. They were this wasn't just a little nibble. You know, it wasn't this little little it wasn't just a little tear off. It was it was you ate so much, you're laying on the grass fed. You are satisfied. All 400 people out of these five loaves and two fish have eaten to their fill. 20,000 people are full, full. And there's a really good application for us. There is plenty of provision from Christ if we're hungry for Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be chortazzo. Satisfied, engorged, fulfilled, filled. You can eat till you're full if you're hungry and thirsting for if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The provision is plentiful. 
More than enough. You know, this bad way of you know, we already know most of this. We already we already know most of the Bible. Come on. There is so much more that's one of the blessings of preparing for the sermon, all the things I get to see that I've never seen before. Go back next week and preach this same thing. There's something else that I've missed. There's stuff I'm missing right now. Jesus' provision is plentiful. He is a generous provider. He will give. Look, he, he, he gave these sign seekers. That's all they were. They were after him for a sign. They come back the next morning for more bread because they want more breakfast. So he turns them away because they're after that. They're not after eternal redemption, the, the bread that he is, the bread of life. But he gives this to these, to these sign seekers, not just a little bit of food. He gives them plenty. That's how he provides for our souls. And they left, and what was left over, left over, persio, it was what was left over to be abundant. Guess what? All right, so they all eat 400 groups this size out of these five loaves and two fish, pass it out. They all eat. Then they, all 12 come back around to their 33 groups with their basket, and they collect the leftovers. And the leftovers fill 12 baskets exactly. For whom? For the 12 apostles to eat. So, so it's perfect provision. It's not just plentiful. It feeds everyone and then they didn't get left out. Remember, they were tired. They were hungry. They were cared for. God cares for his people through his people and he cares for his people. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to power as work within us. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Were they anxious? Yes, they were anxious. For Gentiles seek after these things, and our Heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This was Matthew's words. Matthew had sat and watched. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough money. And yet God provided through them, through Jesus, but through them, all for all those people, and there was plenty left for them, a perfect amount for them to put into their sack that they carried along with them. Look, these, these 12, think about being these 12 at this time. And then think about Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. They come on the shore. They're trying to get some R&R. Here these people are again. So they teach them all day. They heal them all day. It's getting to be evening. The apostles say, let's send them home. Get them out of here so they can go get something to eat. We need to eat and relax. No, no, you feed them. We can't. Okay. Step aside or join with me. Here we go. We're going to feed them. And then there's plenty left over for them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Closing thought. Jesus was always ready to proclaim the kingdom of God and to validate his message by God empowered by miracles. We too must stand ready, stand ready to do good to those around us. We can take away from today's passage, watching Jesus going for some R&R and coming upon the same people again and ministering to them. Ready to do good. Be on mission. You see, you see Tamara, you're a wife and a mother. You have a mission. You have, a, you have ministry. You have, a, you have a calling that God's given you. And, and they're always there. Praise the Lord. And when they're not, rest. And when they are, serve them. Jeff, you work hard. You go out and work hard all day. You drive around. You do what you do. You're dealing with people. You've got stress in your life. You come home and guess who's there? The wife you're to care for spiritually and physically and the children you're to raise in the training and mission of the Lord. Stay on mission. We all want to go to our little Bethsaida's. We all have our little places we want to go to get our R&R. And it's okay to rest. But on your way, if the people are there to minister to, minister to them. That's what our Lord did. The apostles doubted they could provide food for the 20,000 plus and themselves. So they wanted to send the crowd away. That was extremely logical, wasn't it? When they simply obeyed Jesus' commands, 
He provided more than enough for the hungry crowd with plenty left over for them as well. We must always remember God's provision through Jesus is plentiful, persistent, and perfect. We simply need to trust and obey. We simply need to trust and obey. And God will provide everything that we need. Be ready to do good. Do not grow weary. There is no rest for the weary. A rest is in Christ. And that's where we rest as we serve. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Again, it is, it is, it is spilling over with such truth and such great exhortations and such motivations to be like Christ. Father, help us. Help us to be like Christ. Help us to fulfill the ministries you've placed us in, in your providential plan. Father, help us to be a people who cares for your people. Help us, Father, to be ready to minister, be others-focused. Father, help us to trust that you can do all that you promised to do. Father, help us to just trust and obey for the sake of your glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. But stand and sing, Be Gone Unbelief, on your handout. Be Gone Unbelief.